Become spellweavers, reavers, rogues, and men-at-arms, and answer the call of adventure. Pick up your sword, your axe, your spellbook, your bow, your rulebook, and your dice, and join the forces of good in their eternal fight against vile monsters, conspiring min-maxers, horny bards, and blood-soaked murder hobos. Discover the treasure trove of role-playing games here on Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your guide. Good evening, Boneheads, and welcome back to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard, where we are making old school young again. I am your host and king of the Boneheads, Ryan Howard. I am the R-N-O-S-R. And do you guys like my intro? I hope you do. I hope you really like that intro because tonight we have the man who created that intro for me. He is a composing genius. He's been on the show before. Uh, he and his brother Joe Page created Project Full Blade, and he is here tonight to talk about his new heavy metal audio comic, Ruthless, and so much more. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Rolling Bones, Mr. John Page. Yeah, well, cheers to that. I've got some uh, some makers here and my uh, Glenn Carn glass. So sweet. Just uh, I don't know if you know this, but uh, the first first person to ever use my music for their show or stream was. Uh, Pete, and that's how you found me. Yeah. But the first person I ever composed a custom intro for was you. So you nice. uh, you deflowered me, you <laughs> toxic brute. How dare you? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I do it again. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> Terrible. I'm going to add Eliza Blue and tag you so she uh, <laughs> comes after you. Oh, God. <laughs> but no, uh, it it's always interesting to me to see like the company that I'm in with people who have John Page intros, because it's me, it's Pete, uh, Mark Clare. Uh, d- does Clint still use uh, your music for his intro? Yeah, still uses it, and uh, I may or may not be doing a original for him to update it, so we'll see. Time will tell. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe not. But yeah, it's it's all those heavy hitters and then me. And I, they're, they're like up here and I'm, I'm down here. So, you know, it's nice to be in such esteemed company. There we go. Well, I'm, 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 I'm working to grow that list. We'll see how effectively I can do that. I'm pivoting more toward uh, working with, uh, and we were talking about this before stream, uh, Iron Age creators and and creating some music for some of these stories they're doing, uh, which is really what got me back into writing music. I wanted to get into fantasy and sci-fi uh scoring uh and Mm -hmm. doing that i kind of got back into heavy metal because i love you know i'm a lead guitarist by trade so i'm kind of doing a little bit of everything it's fun Mm -hmm. absolutely and we're gonna dig into the iron age here at the beginning of the show but before we do that we of course need to give a very special shout out to uh someone who has had a a very big life event happen recently and that is of course your brother joe page he is a father uh his firstborn was born just a few days ago so joe congratulations uh and i hope to see you back on the show someday to talk more about project full blade 
That, I'm sure he thanks you. Thank you very much. I do have a new niece. Her name is Nova, and she's great. She's, I've already got her some good onesies. I got her a Dio onesie and a uh, Tony Soprano onesie where he's <laughs> nice. holding a big thing of Gabagool, and it just says Gabagool. So, uh, we're, you know, she's she's starting off right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, as an Italian myself, I, I give you uh, five of these hand gestures out of five. Oh, there we go. Those of you who are listening on audio, you you know the hand gesture I made. Come on. Well, to, to kick things off tonight, uh, because we're going to be talking so much about the Iron Age, I think that's a good place to begin. Um, for anyone out there who doesn't know that term or where it came from, uh, I'll let you start. and We'll, we'll kind of give everyone a primer on what the Iron Age is. Sure. You want me to kind of give my perspective on how it how it all started? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I uh, obviously I'm going to get to Razor Fist because I think that's where it was really codified. But uh, Mm. from my uh, perspective, and I was rolling in the in these kind of freedom, liberty related circles for years now, we already kind of touched on that and um, started to make contacts with a lot of creatives. Uh, Eric July comes out with ISOM number one. <clears throat> and it really just blew up. And as it was blowing up, I've heard of Comic Skate before, but I was introduced to a lot of Car- Comic Skate artists. I think I threw a tweet out like, hey, I, yeah, I never really talked to a bunch of Comic Skate people, but now that I'm in all these different chats with them, uh, they're, they're really talented and cool people. And that tweet blew up. It was a very simple tweet that kind of blew up. And I, got, I had a lot of artists follow me, and I followed them back uh, from that kind of whole experience i found the artist for ruthless which we'll get to down in the episode but um yeah eric july comes out with isom number one generates a lot of excitement and it it wasn't just the money or the the total sales there was excitement online for it people really wanted to just see what he was doing and uh he he really showed that you know he had an advantage because he's been building a name over a long period of time with his band and his youtube show so he did have like a built-in fan base so he he, he did it the smart way, mm-hmm. uh, put his own money out to, to collect all the rewards. So I really respect what he did there. Uh, but the excitement was uh, undeniable. And um, as this was going on, uh, you know, Shadversity was uh, he was doing his own graphic novel. Razor Fist was releasing a graphic novel. And um, all these creatives are really just getting inspired from from all this going on and then razor fist released the infamous video where he says welcome to the iron age right this yeah. is what the iron age is and uh, I, I connected with me as a metal guy and a, and a, and a creator and now now a storyteller uh, which i've never been uh, previously before this um yeah he just kind of codified that and um you know, channels started popping up covering it. Uh, you know, like I told you, uh, Royce from A Drink With Crazy has a channel dedicated to the Iron Age. Uh, Richard from IronAge.media. It's a website. It's an aggregator for all these independent um, uh, stories being released. So you can simply go to his website and uh, pretty much most of the Iron Age stuff that's out there is on there now, including Razor Fist and Shadversity and, and Ripaverse and smaller creators like myself and uh, 365 Infantry uh, and some other creators that aren't they're going to be on there soon, so I don't I don't know if I want to blow up their spot yet. But um, yeah, to me that was kind of the, it was this whole process of, um, and I don't know if Eric July considers Isom in the Iron Age, but without a mm-hmm. doubt he inspired the energy, and Razor Fist and his genius was smart enough to codify it with that term and 
a lot of creators grabbed onto it. Hundreds of creators grabbed onto that term, and they're doing independent stories under that label. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And 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 from my perspective, what we're dealing with here is mainstream, or I, I, I even hesitate to call it main. It's still mainstream. Never mind. I, I'll rescind that comment. But mainstream legacy media is in decline. It's it's big time in decline. All the like big billion dollar movies, all the you know big comic book companies, the big role playing game companies, all of them are experiencing some of the worst failures they've ever experienced. It's not enough at this point just to put a D and an ampersand and a D on a role playing book, especially after all the OGL stuff that's been happening and all the bad publicity that Watsy's been getting. I think it's only going to get worse, by the way, but we'll come back to that. Same thing with DC and Marvel. People haven't been buying comic books uh, for forever at this point, except for like the Comics Gate stuff. So a lot of these big giants of media, these established names, the the Coke and Pepsi of role playing or comics, they're all experiencing failure, and it's even starting to seep into the movies. Marvel movies are not doing what they once did. Uh, DC movies have never really taken off at all, and I don't see that changing in the next, you know, five to ten years. Things, there's a shift happening. There's, There's a shift that's very reminiscent of the shift that happened when the new school of cinema came in in the 1970s. There, there's a passing of the torch going on, whether they want to admit it or not. And I think the Iron Age is going to be the front line of taking over what is currently mainstream media and turning it into something new, something more authentic, something more real, and something uh, more creative than what mainstream media is doing now. So I I hope uh, people like Eric July and people like Razorfist and and people like yourself are prepared to really like take the fight to kind of the the big titans of media right now because that's i i feel like that's what this iron age movement is poised to do yeah and uh i've talked about this a few times uh the iron age movement cannot compete financially and we need as creators we need to realize that Mm -hmm. um but that said uh money isn't everything and you do not necessarily need a lot of money to deliver quality and um, man, uh, let's just kind of let's go back talk about some of these franchises you called out, right? You, mm-hmm. you missed Star Wars. Let's let's pull that in because that is the biggest travesty as far <laughs> as just losing all the respect of like hardcore Star Wars fans. Think about what they did to Luke Skywalker. Think about what they did to Obi Wan Kenobi. I know that show sucked and it didn't get a lot of pub, but for me, like I knew it was going to be the end. But I watched it. I'm like, I'm going to watch every episode of Obi Wan on Disney Plus and accept the fate that they're dealing to me. But this is pretty much going to kill it. And they exceeded my negative expectations by a hundredfold. Yeah, could not believe what they put out. Just not even the woke stuff. Just quality. Just the quality of the product they put out was it was an embarrassment uh and that's just you know that's just star wars right I, star wars is ruined mm. it's it's ruined it's not coming back uh marvel 
you know, um, Eternals, I believe, lost money. Um, Black Widow lost money. Shang-Chi broke even. Yes. But, you know, if you're dropping $200 million on a project, do you want to see a break even at the end of it? That's not really a success. <laughs> exactly. Um, that's a different type of business than like a, a standard corporation who's breaking even where they can pay people and, and continue on. Uh, you know, we're talking movies that take two years to make and um, all these different people are involved. So a break even is not a success. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're 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 heavy hitters or, or at least what they have left Thor. Uh, Doctor Strange uh, performed and turned a, a bit of profit, but not what they were expecting for the money that they're actually putting out uh, right. on these movies. Um, DC, God, I don't even want to get DC. <laughs> that's a whole other. I mean, P, I'm pissed that they got rid of Henry Kivel. Yeah, uh, for Superman, a lot of people are, and uh, James Gunn is, you know, as far as like movie creators, he's not the worst. He's actually put movies out that I have enjoyed. Mm-hmm. So uh, I kind of wanted to see him succeed, but I feel bad for the poor bastard who's got to fill Henry Cavill's shoes as Superman in whatever movie he's putting out. Because man, if he doesn't nail that, if he doesn't nail that casting, his whole universe is toast. Because mm-hmm. every he, he's already damaged uh, the good faith with DC fans with uh, with the move that he pulled there. So um, yeah, I, Iron Age. Uh, I, here's my prediction: the next five years, um, we're going to have a lot of stories come out of the Iron Age. There's going to be a lot that have quality issues that need to be improved, and and those creators deserve honest feedback so we can get them where they want to be. Yeah. Um, but I think you're going to have some home runs come out of the Iron Age story wise from small creators, not not a Eric July or a Razor Fist or a creator that's already built a name for themselves. I think you're going to see a home run from some small creators, and uh, hopefully it's me. It's Probably not going to be, but uh, I think you'll see some people make a name for themselves. And I guarantee you, in the next five years, one of these properties is going to be picked up. Maybe it won't be a big uh, budget, but it'll be picked up for a streaming, uh, for a show, for a streaming service. And I think that's really going to be our first big victory of oh, we're beating you at your own game now. Watch out! And uh, they're only going to degrade from here, and we're only going to improve. So we just got to stick in for the long game. I'm telling five years time, one of them is going to happen. That's my prediction. Mm-hmm. To to go back to a point that you made about we're not you know the Iron Age is not going to be able to compete financially. I, as an example, I want to show you guys something. Now, those of you who watch the show regularly, you know what this is. This is Hyperborea. It's put out by a company called Northwind Adventures. Northwind Adventures is one guy, Jeff Talanian, and he put out this giant, beautiful book filled with gorgeous art it's black and white it was done on kickstarter uh you know it it was made on a budget but this book is better than anything wizards of the coast has put out in the nine years of fifth edition hyperborea is better than all of fifth edition this one book right here this is an example of what we can do. We may not have the budgets of your Wizards of the Coast or your DC or your Marvel or your Disney's, but what we have is creative energy. And that's the most important thing moving forward because even the even the normiest of normies can detect that something is wrong. 
there's something wrong with the movies and the TV shows that they have previously relied upon for their entertainment. Something's just not clicking. But when it comes to what we have and what we can work with, we're working within restrictions. And out of restrictions comes inventiveness and creativity. So that's how you get something like a Hyperborea or like a Ruthless or like an Isom. You know, we're, we're working with what we have. We're working with the tools at our disposal. And if the creativity and the drive and the, uh, the energy is behind us, it's not even going to matter that the budget is smaller because... Any anyone in any uh, industry or any hobby can name something with a small budget that absolutely blew something big budget out of the water. Oh yes, yeah. but from a profitability perspective, which at the end of the day, um, if you're making media for money, that's all that matters. It's not what you spend. It's not what you make. It's what that difference is of how much you spend compared to how much you make. Right? What's yeah. your what's your actual profit off your product? Uh, and you're a hundred percent right. Um, and Again, going back to Star Wars and Marvel, how much money are they spending on these shows and their uh, and movies? And um, they're not getting their return. Yeah, not really. Not the return they're looking for. So it, that's proof that it doesn't matter how you can't just throw money at a problem and expect it to be solved. You've got to you've got to engage it and give it your best and think and be creative. And um, the brilliance of old school Dungeons and Dragons was I've said this recently, too. Gary Gygax of just genius creativeness. It wasn't look at the first first edition books that came out. Mm-hmm. Um, they weren't really big budget, right? There was some amazing art in in the old school D and D books, but outside of that, it wasn't like this, uh, you know, hundred million dollar effort that Gary Gygax went through to get this game out. And it was a it was a masterpiece, and that's that's what made the name. That's that's what caught role playing games on. I mean, it was Dungeons and Dragons, and that was it for the longest time. Um, so, yeah, if, if somebody can really take, and I think the secret here is taking their time. If you're a creator, take your time and make a masterpiece. Don't rush it out. Uh, it's it's not necessarily all about speed. It's how you can connect with somebody uh, and and their imagination, and um, have them feed that to other people to connect with their imagination and have that grow from a, a like a word of mouth um, organic uh, grow in an organic way. I guess yeah. what I'm trying to say. I, I think that's the secret and we can do it. We don't need a lot of money to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, all of this just kind of reminds me of, you know, all the way back in the eighties, there were these two dudes living in New Hampshire named Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird who had no name and no recognition. And together they put out a black and white comic book that you may have heard of called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which became a giant media phenomenon. I mean, that's what we're looking at here. We're essentially waiting on the next Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles to come along. Yeah, and and imagine if somebody could, you know, obviously not deliver a comic book about turtles who are ninjas. That would be ripping off. But that that same creative... uh, gusto yeah. like what what can you put out like uh let's say and and maybe this isn't as creative but uh i've been reading ethan van skyber's uh cyber frog mm-hmm. finally picked up my copy of blood honey and uh you know it's a cyber frog and you know i'm sure a lot of in, in 
stuff with amphibians and and you know cyber stuff robots have been done before hybrids uh but just the way he did the art and the story i'm not completely finished about halfway through but it's really it's really cool to just read that uh late at night when everybody's sleeping and and kind of transport myself into this world that he created mm-hmm. uh but yeah w- they're out there those those creators that are going to write that that next massive property that comes out of nowhere they're out there and i definitely think we have a few in the iron age yeah absolutely now something to to kind of go off on a little bit of a tangent here um because we're talking about the decay of the legacy media and how we're you, you know in real time essentially watching the roman empire collapse in multiple ways um recently and by recently i mean either yesterday or today i don't remember uh precisely when this happened but uh kyle brink the executive producer of D uh said something stupid he he went on someone's show and essentially said people like me and and the the clear implication is you know white males people like me can't get out of the hobby fast enough which is a stupid thing to say when you're at a you know super high position in role playing games because the obvious joke there is all right leave then you know quit your quit your high paying job where you're directing the uh kind of the tides of role playing as it were and you know, just you know, don't let the don't let the door hit you on the ass on the way out. But yeah, th- this is what we're dealing with now. We're dealing with mediocre creatives who essentially get off on lording what little remaining power they have over those of us who ensure that they get to feed their families. So you know, what what are your thoughts on that situation and you know that trend as a whole? So when I first saw the, the 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 Kyle Brinks stuff, and I have never heard of this guy before I, before today. I think I saw it this morning for the first time, and I was like, what? <laughs> when I first saw it, the headlines were, uh, Kyle Brinks says white man shouldn't play D&D. And that's a misrepresentation of what he said. And I hate it when is. people do that. Yeah, What he said was bad enough. Just say what he said, and we can we can pick that apart plenty. He said... Uh, uh, he said, yeah, something like people like me or, or can't get out of the game fast enough. So he's an executive at a corporation. Yes. Uh, so am I. There's if an executive at a corporation is basically telling you, oh, you guys should eventually fire me because uh, and I'm sorry. Uh, let me set this up a little better. The article, he was talking about diversity. So this is in the context of diversity in the workplace. So it's not like we're misrepresenting what he said. Uh, you know, taking the leap of white men shouldn't play D&D compared to what he said. That's what he was saying, essentially, because it was in the context of diversity and the people that worked at Dungeons and Dragons. And mm-hmm. I think it's a real travesty because um, what happens is like actual diversity where uh, of thought. And if you know, if you want to include nationality, that's fine. But honestly, it should be a meritocracy where the best person for the job wins. 
doesn't matter if they if they love it if somebody loves D and they played every single edition and they're a gygax expert it, it, you shouldn't be running D D unless you're a gygax expert i don't care if you hate him i don't <laughs> care if he wasn't the perfect person you got to be a gygax expert if you want to really run D into the future and, and make it successful long term uh because that's that's your roots that's your history and if you forget that you're doomed to repeat it um but uh yeah my first thought was never trust an executive who's saying you should fire me because I'm a white male because everybody should have some sort of sense of, I need to preserve myself, which sounds selfish, but we all should be a little selfish, right? Like you don't want to get fired from your job. (laughs) You shouldn't lie and be unethical. You should do a good job at your, you know, and do good work. And Mm. if you don't, then maybe you should get fired. But for the people that, you know, really try and do a good job and show up and put in some effort, uh, I would never want to be fired from my job from the from the sole fact that I'm a white male. I mean, that's just ridiculous. Um, my second thought was, you know, I'll be 40 next uh, this year. I'll be 40 this year. I was trying to say next year and give me an extra <laughs> year, make one year younger. But, uh, you know, for you youngins out there, uh, this kind of stuff evolves. It evolves over the decades. So, yeah. Right now, it is what it is now, right? Like, mm. uh, I, I don't want to say I'm the target, but they're just uh, their hypothetical straw man, white male that they put up there for their target. Um, the uh, lost my train of thought there. Um, that's going to evolve into somebody else soon. That's not a white male. So, if you want to normalize this type of behavior, you should be really calling it out and, and to the point of boycotting these companies. I, I really think that's what it's going to take. Yeah. Hit them in the pocketbook, put them out of business. But um, you know, we're not going to be the target forever, and it's going to move on to somebody else. And when it moves on to you, it's like, oh, what's going on here now? And uh, again, you know, if you want, go back in the news and see how things evolved. Democrats evolved, Republicans evolved, Republicans today and Republicans twenty years ago, not the same creature. Same thing with Democrats. Absolutely. Uh, same thing with Libertarians. Everything evolves, mm-hmm. and, no- and nothing is nothing is persistent for too long. Uh, that's why uh, being uh, true to your um, true to your principles and virtues about you know, hey, this is right or this isn't right is important. But anyway, I'll, I'll stop going on a tangent. But yeah, just a complete distrust of what this guy said. Mm-hmm. You should distrust him, even if you're not a white male, even if you're the person that he's targeting. For him to come out and say, "Oh yeah, you can fire me," no. He's not he's not going anywhere unless he is legitimately fired. He's going to retain his position and find a way to be there. Mm-hmm. And um, I just I don't trust any of these people where the first thing they look at for everything is race and not the, the character of the person they're dealing with, how much they love what they're doing. Um, I mean, that stuff is so important. Uh, it's uh, <laughs> beauty is on the inside, as uh, mm-hmm. some people would say. Yeah. It's interesting what you said that, you know, the sense of self-preservation, um, it, it reminds me very much of Rand. A lot of people misunderstand Ayn Rand when she says that selfishness is a virtue. What that means is if you don't care at all about yourself, you are going to get run over. You're going to get flattened by institutions, people that don't care whether you live or die. So... You need to look out for yourself because no one else is looking out for you. That's what Rand means when she says um, 
essentially that selfishness is a virtue and that's one of those things that people who critique her like to you know throw out there as oh these people are crazy they think selfishness is good Rand just said it in the most provocative way that she possibly could because that's what Ayn Rand did now to move away from Ayn Rand because that could be a whole episode in itself um what this guy is doing, I don't believe for a second that this Kyle Rink person is any kind of ideologue or someone that actually, you know, knows the theories that he's spouting. This is a man who is a weasel. He's he's what uh, Gad Sad calls a sneaky fucker. He's uh, one of these people who's putting on the coat of this is the ideology that people are saying because this is what I think I need to say so that these people don't show up, you know, in my yard with pitchforks and torches and try to, you know, tar and feather me and throw me out of town on a rail. These are, you know, this is a man trying to pander to current thing. And at this point, I have no patience for that. And I hope all of you out there have no patience for that anymore because it's disingenuous, it's bad for the hobby, it's bad for creativity, and like John said, it's eventually going to turn. It's not always going to be that, you know, you know, white men are the the great evil. If we allow this thing to persist, it's going to be a situation where you have rabid armies of consumers that are willing to, you know, tear apart their fellow man just because the company that produces the movies or the TV shows or whatever it is that they like tells them that this, you know, type of person is evil. It's the kind of thinking that gives you, and I know this is a cliche, it's the kind of thinking that gives you something like Nazi Germany. So we really need to be cautious about this mindset permeating what's essentially our fun time, our leisure time, our leisure activities, things that we previously pursued to get away from the pain and reality of real life, things like role-playing games, comics, movies, TV, video games, etc. We can't tolerate this anymore, and we need to absolutely build parallel to this and overtake this rotted, evil mindset that the products you consume for your leisure are your identity and you need to you know fight tooth and claw for it because i don't know why it's your personality at this point it's it's this weird thing that i keep trying to wrap my head around of how all of these people become so religiously devoted to brands massive corporations things that don't care about them at all things that will grind them up and spit them out whenever they become inconvenient to them and you know that that's what i'm looking to circumvent with you know everything that i do here yeah yeah great point um another thing to consider most of this is fake yeah it's 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 coming from the media who takes advantage of the internet which the internet's a wonderful thing, but uh, the media will take advantage of it and they'll just make it seem like there's a legit race war between all the different races. There's a sex war between men and feet. Like it, everybody has to be segregated and separated. But the truth is I walk out of my house and I go to the stores where I know all the people there. Cause I, you know, I, you know, 
I don't really drive far because I work from home, but uh, I go I go to stores every you know a couple times a week, and I know the people there. And if I marked up all their sexes and races, I would win diversity bingo right off the bat. I, I live in South Florida, and it's been diverse for my entire life here, and it's never really been a topic until you know ten years ago. Yeah. So the, the and we all get along. We joke. This is mostly just made up online, and people believe it like it's real life. I'll even run into people with blue hair. Very cordial with them. They're cordial with me. No disrespect. No hate. Most of this is just made up online for views and the grift. So just keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I mean, this is something that our uh, our brother-in-arm, Mark Clare, would, would echo if, uh, if he were here to say the same thing. Um, sometimes people will ask me why I watch wrestling, why I'm into professional wrestling, and on one hand, it's because I like professional wrestling and I don't have to answer to you. Uh, but on the other hand, if you can understand the psychology behind professional wrestling, you understand the culture war. Yeah. Oh, man. Probably going back to the 80s mm-hmm. probably is a bit of a predictor of the culture war. Think yeah. about, you know, <laughs> having a. Uh, uh, Iron Sheik as a villain. Uh, who's the? Wasn't there a Russian guy that was? I can't remember. Nikolai Volkov. My greatest feeling. Yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah, that's it. Oh, maybe maybe uh, wrestling is a predictor of what the future is going to be like in thirty years. I should start paying attention. And even like just beyond like the the specific storylines, this idea of uh, you know the evil dastardly heel who's going to be on you know he he's the champion he you know he holds all the cards in his hand and he's you know completely unscrupulous he's going to lie cheat and steal his way to you know staying on top and then there's this scrappy underdog baby face who's going to fight their way through it and overcome all the cheating and eventually in the middle of that ring he's going to pin that heel one two three and everyone's going to celebrate the you know triumph of this ultimate. Uh, paragon of all things good that is the central storyline that everyone tries to sell you whether it's uh you know in in politics on capitol hill if you look at the way that politics are presented you know it's very much depending on who's doing the spin one side is the baby face one side's the heel you look at that with uh you know culture war stuff too it's always, you know, the the institutional evil white men, the people who have traditionally occupied the, you know, levers of power and, you know, the main consumer base. They're the heels. They're the bad guys. And we're, you know, all of the, uh, you know, diversity coalition. They're the scrappy underdog baby faces, even though they really aren't. They've got the complete full backing of all the major corporations and institutions behind them. But they're going to, you know, overthrow this, you know, dastardly, evil, bad guy, pin him in the ring, one, two, three, and then everyone's going to celebrate their triumph. And everything will be better. They're, you know, they're on after. That's professional wrestling, and that's the culture war. Yeah, and I think that perfectly explains uh, Kyle Brink here. He's being the baby face for the left and the heels to the right, and uh, he doesn't care about either one. It's a calculated move to get his name out there and try and strengthen his position. So yep. I think that's a uh, that's a uh, good comparison you brought in there with professional wrestling. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Baron G Rock in chat uh, says at this point, Congress has less maturity than an eighth grade class. You find that in every kind of legislative body. If you ever watch like British Parliament, it essentially is an eighth grade class. That's what it is. Uh, Government is uh, Hollywood or stand up comedy for ugly, uncharismatic people or not as charismatic people. And that's, you know, that's the show. It's it's a show put on in front of us to make us think that good things are happening, where, at, you know, in the back there's full cooperation between everyone who's in power, and they're just going to do what they do. Yeah, unfortunately, there's a lot of power behind that show, mm-hmm. and that's what they're hiding from you, right? That's yeah. what's behind the curtain. So, um, uh, I, uh, I actually, I, I don't really call myself, a, I don't call myself a libertarian anymore. Not really, just flat out don't call myself a libertarian anymore. That doesn't mean that I don't love freedom or I don't believe in a lot of principles or agree with a lot of the economic principles that they have. I don't think any of that's changed. Uh, but I do think, uh, and we talked about Pete, I think he brings up a good point that, um, uh, you know, power is important. And, and uh, going back to what we were talking about before about being selfish, there's nothing wrong with making yourself a power structure. Right. You shouldn't apologize for that. You should want to make yourself the most money you can. Buy a lot of guns. Be intimate. Be be a force to deal with. Hmm. Like, make people think twice before they mess with you. There's nothing wrong with that. And that can be used to better your children. And that's what I try and do. It could be used to better your uh, wife or husband, which I try and do. Your extended family, which I have a pretty big extended family. And that could be all used for good. Doesn't have to be used for bad. Um, so, yeah, just. Uh, Make, your, make yourself a power structure and, and don't apologize for it because the, the people that are really running the show, uh, they want the power uh, over over you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I, I do still call myself a libertarian, if nothing else, for the expedience of, you know, people somewhat understand what a libertarian is. But in reality, I'm, I'm much more of the Hans Hermann Hoppe mindset of, you know, once government is overthrown there still needs to be a power structure in place we just have to build decentralized power structures and we have to be pretty ruthless in making sure that those you know the the societies that we want stay intact uh to to make sure that we don't lose what we've fought so hard for so yeah i mean there there's nothing wrong with amassing power for yourself because if you don't have that power over your life and, you know, you're not able to resist other powers trying to take what's yours, you're just going to end up powerless again. Yeah, and uh, some people can take what you just said there as controversial as far as being ruthless, <laughs> of which course. I, I, like to, I like to play on words there. Yeah. But um, think about it this way, because this is the same thing. You're in your house, in your bed, sleeping, somebody breaks in. Dog barks, you get up, grab your gun, it's a home invader, and you shoot and kill them. Are you justified? Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. Same thing. Say that That is a guy coming into your home, uh, trying to mess with your power structure. Uh, it could possibly kill you, could possibly kill your family, could steal your stuff. You don't know what he's there for. Mm-hmm. Same thing. Same comparison. So what you said could be controversial or misconstrued as controversial really shouldn't be. And uh, I think until we realize that, we'll be immature as a culture. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
even if you go back to, and this is something that I really like, uh, you know, looking at medieval history, medieval towns and cities, they were like kind of their own units, essentially. The baron had an armory and everyone who lived in the town was expected, you know, every able-bodied man was expected to take up arms in defense of what was theirs, not just what belonged to the baron, but what belonged to them. Because, you know, you're a person living in, uh, you know, Norman territory in the 1100s, and uh, here come the Saxons. They're not just going to, you know, take what the uh, the chief or the baron or whoever's in charge of your community is. They're also going to kill you and take your family and, you know, have their way with them. Uh, you can fill in the details yourself of what that means. Uh, so you're not just fighting for the uh, the person who's in charge. You're fighting for yourself as well. So these power structures need to exist, and we just need to make sure that uh, you know you have power yourself, so that people can't take away that power. You have to be able to defend yourself. You have to be able to live uh, as a free individual. And what that means is you have to be willing to take upon, uh, you know, the this willingness to fight for your existence and your uh, success in this world. Yeah, what's that saying? What's what's the one thing that can beat a bad guy with a gun? A good guy with a gun. Uh, and uh, if you know if you're on the right, maybe you say, or well, if you're on the left, you would probably say that's the police at this point. <laughs> if you're on the right, that you'd say that's an individual. But uh, whether it's a police or a citizen, the important part of that saying is good guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that's the important part. It's up to it, it's up to uh, both men and women uh, to be good representatives of themselves and their family and their uh, society. So uh, yeah, good guy with a gun. That, and that's a power structure. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, uh, speaking of uh, rugged, tough individuals who are willing to take upon themselves the uh, the willingness to do violence in defense of what's theirs, let's talk a little bit about Ruthless, this, uh, this comic that you have created. And it's not just a comic. Uh, very specifically, for people who are unfamiliar with this... Uh, Ruthless is a heavy metal audio comic. So from there, John, I want you to kind of give everyone the elevator pitch of what this particular book is. Sure. Yeah, I promote it as a heavy metal audio comic, which is different, right? I I don't think that term has ever been used or those words have ever been used in that order to promote a piece of media. (laughs) Uh, The reason I wanted to promote it like that is to really kind of relate what it is off the bat in as little words as possible. So if you think audiobook compared to a book, you have, you know, a book, you have a 300-page book with a story audiobook. You have just a narration that tells you that story. Nice and calming. Maybe they'll have a little bit of music at the beginning. Where a comic, if you compare a comic to a book, a comic's a lot more colorful. It has art. Uh, you know, the words aren't all the same. Sometimes you'll have a, a small text box, and then sometimes you'll have a big wham to kind of put an exclamation mark on what's going on. It's a combination of the art and the letters on the page that tell the story, not just the letters on the page. You have to consume both to really take in everything that's going on with a comic. And uh, from an audio perspective, 
uh, which I do have art in this as well. But the heart of it, it's an audio product. So from an audio perspective, I did that uh, with um, with Ruthless. So uh, comic uh, for a few things. One, the colorfulness of it. Uh, one, the length. It's only uh, the episodes will all be between 15 and 20 minutes, or I should say issues. The first issue that's out now for free on my channel uh, on YouTube is uh, 17 minutes long. So not a big commitment. You can kind of hop in, hop out, and get along with your day. Uh, and it's just long enough to get a little bit of satisfaction from an entertainment perspective. And the color comes in from an audio perspective with the music. I do it a complete original soundtrack. It's all heavy metal. Um, it's basically my return to heavy metal. I've been jonesing to come back and write some heavy metal for a long time. Uh, I used to be in two bands. I was a lead guitarist in those bands. That's where I first got into you know composing and home recording. Uh, so this is something that I really enjoy doing. And um, so, yeah, heavy metal audio comics. So that's the audio part. That's the audio pitch of it. Now, I didn't want to just release an audio and that was it because uh, doing Project Full Blade, like you brought up before, we did audio trilogies with full scores. And if you just do an audio format, it's a lot to throw at somebody. Yeah. And some people can keep up with it and some people can't. And that's not anybody's fault. That's just we're all different. So uh, what I did with Ruthless is I created the audio portions of it. Very dramatic music. Uh, Joe, my brother, he's doing the voice acting and narration for the main character, Ash, which is more important than the music because he really brings that main character to life with what he's doing. Mm -hmm. And then I went out and I found an artist. Um, I don't know if he'd call himself Comicscape, but I met him when the whole thing with uh, Isom was blowing up. Um, yeah. He's a big fan of Isom. And... Um, I met him because I, I did a, a concept theme for Isom and he did a concept drawing for Isom and I asked him if I can use his drawing for my YouTube thumbnail and he said yes and then we started talking and I brought him in as the artist of Ruthless. His name is Sean Stevens. So uh, you have this narration, you have this custom soundtrack that's written in tandem with the story so it's locked in real tight when you listen to it. Um, and then you have this art that kind of goes along in video format and tells the story. So you'll see, you know, as you're listening to the narration and the soundtrack, you'll see one piece of art come up on the left and then another piece of art come up on the right to kind of finish the panel, comic panel, for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes it'll be a full piece. I plan on getting creative with that in the second issue that I'm working on now. I've, I've got some new ideas for how I'm going to do the art panels. Um, but yeah, and then uh, to top it all off, uh, there's comic style lettering with the the white boxes that appear that line up with the narration, so you can listen to it. You can you know when you watch a YouTube video, you can see the art, you can see the lettering of the of the comic lettering come up, so you can read along as you listen. So even though I'm throwing a lot at you um, from this type of media, I I did it in a way where it's not that difficult, rather easy to kind of keep on with this you know if you kind of get lost you can read it uh, if you're catching on uh from an audio perspective you can just focus on the art or you can alternate back and forth so i think it's just really innovative cool little project that i did i love the metal part of it i love that i'm working with my brother uh, i love that i'm meeting people like sean who's amazing artist uh there are a lot of people who want to uh voice act in it i'm going out and getting some voice actors for this I love to collaborate with musicians and, and actually bring in people to do some tracks on top of mine. So it's this really cool thing where you get to kind of forge friendships and make a little name for yourself. Mm -hmm. And having done work with you guys before, uh, if you do need someone else to do some voice work, just, you know, let me know. 
That's right. Ryan's a great voice actor. Yeah, absolutely. I'll be reaching out to you soon. I haven't reached out to anybody yet, but you're on my list. <laughs> Darvim Dio. <laughs> yeah, Ryan did voice act for Project Full Blades audio trilogies. Um, geez, what was that king? He was a king. I forget the king's name. Though. I can't remember terrible. his name off the top of my head either. But yeah, he he, he was a king and... I, I basically did my uh, old man mixed with my impression of Norman Osborn from uh, Spider-Man, the animated series. So It was great. My brother's going to kill me, and that's a problem because he is bigger <laughs> than stronger than me. And I forgot the king's name, so he's going to – I got to watch out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I mean uh, – it really is kind of an interesting story that you set up here. Uh, it is of the kind of you know post-apocalyptic genre, uh, but the the story that you set up here is one. To to be perfectly honest, this is something that I have like wished for over the past uh, three years to happen in real life. Uh, all electronic devices have ceased to function. In in the the that's the the world we find Ash in uh, as we begin the journey of Ruthless. Uh, so, w- what kind of inspired that specific apocalypse? Uh, just in your mind? Yeah. So I I took a lot of time to set up how I deliver the media to you. Now let's get into the story, right? Because um, this is my favorite part. I uh, so before I get into it, I'm not a writer. Um. I'm a I'm a composer. I've composed albums upon albums of music throughout my life. So I'm I am a creative person, but I'm not a good writer. That said, this was the one story I thought I could write, and I, I was only cocky enough to try this from doing those audio trilogies with Joe, mm-hmm. because you know uh, I had to do the mixing and mastering, so I had to listen to those for hundreds of hours, and it was just repeated like how he wrote and his stories and i just we again we developed this skill over you know two three years so it's like i can i can do this and i brought obviously brought joe and he did a narration he ad-libbed a lot he would give ideas for stories so he's kind of the co-writer of this but um yeah story starts off main character's name is ash because um we need a new they're they're killing ash off in pokemon they killed ash off in evil dead we need a solid lead character with the name of Ash. That can't die. So I'm taking up the torch there, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, main character's name is Ash. He is uh, on business in Chicago. His family's in Florida. Uh, very simple story. Um, and an, uh, an event called The Short just mysteriously knocks out basically the world's power grid. Just all power just in the world goes out. And uh, if you think about it, if that happened today... Would we survive or would we not survive? How quickly would would the world uh, degrade or fall apart, right? Yeah. Uh, and I, I think it would. I think it would fall apart pretty quick, oh, yeah. <laughs> especially in the big cities. And then it would just filter out from there. And you wouldn't even need zombies. Humans would take care of the job. Yeah. So that's the premise behind the story. Like, if this happened in real life, what would happen? And uh, that's basically kind of my driving force behind the story. So uh, in the story, if you listen to it, it starts off with Ash. Uh, away from his family this terrible event happens within days society is just people are killing each other in the streets it's becoming i think one of the lines in there it it took hundreds of years uh for us to become civilized but uh only a few days to return to medieval times that's not the exact line but that's kind of one of the lines he has in there describing it and i think that was a great way to put it of like 
it takes so much more effort to build something than it does to tear something down. I it would be good to have a story to remind people of that, of yeah. how important it is not to be destructive. And it's much harder to be creative than destructive, but it's so much more meaningful and um man, it's so much better for the human race if we were to all do that. So uh so yeah. Electricity's done. Ash has to tra- walk home from Chicago to Florida in this world where people are literally killing each other. I get into that a little bit. We're going to go back and have some flashbacks with that. We're going to have one in the second issue. Gets home, doesn't find his family, doesn't find bodies, but doesn't find his family. He doesn't know if they're alive or dead. So he kind of is lost and he falls into himself and he doesn't have, uh, you know, when you're lost, you don't really have a point of focus for inspiration. Right. So I don't want to give too much away, but there is a scene in the middle. And this is where the whole thing kind of picks up and and it gets fast paced. And it's pretty much fast paced until the end where he builds a weapon for himself. And it's not that this weapon is super effective. It's that this weapon has deeper meaning to him. It's something that uh, that matters, something with sentimental value. And he wants to turn this into something that he can fight for his life with in this new world that he finds himself in. Uh, and after that, there's an action scene and uh, uh, a little bit of character development. And we introduce one of the side characters, the first side character uh, towards the end. Uh, that'll be a long-term character in this story. And it's really just world building and set up and, and introducing it to this, this guy named Ash, who's found himself in a world that has recently become post-apocalyptic. Um, not to, drag on too much but one other element that i haven't really described in this is even though that story in its post-apocalyptic story it's a very simple story it actually be very easy to, to adapt and cheap to adapt for a movie and mm-hmm. i do the soundtrack right so you don't have to get yeah. a, a guy for the soundtrack but um in addition to that there is a lot of heavy metal themes in here this is a lo- this story is a love letter to the heavy metal fans um when you see the weapon if you check it out you're going to see exactly what i mean there's going to be like there's going to be song titles buried in as lines of dialogue from some of my favorite metal artists. There's going to be a, a lot of Easter eggs of heavy metal buried into the story as I build it up. So, yeah, uh, if you don't like metal, you may not like this. But if you like <laughs> heavy metal, you got to check this out. You're probably going to like it. Mm-hmm. And I will uh, kind of let everyone in on a, a little secret here. If you look over what would be John's left shoulder right now, you can see the inspiration for the weapon. Um, it's right there on the wall behind him. It, and this is... I, I want to preface this by saying this is not an attack on the story or the character that you have set up here. But when I was... Uh, watching and listening to the first issue of Ruthless, I was thinking that Ash very much feels like you had put yourself in this situation and kind of written out what you would do if you found yourself in these circumstances. I see a lot of John Page in the character of Ash. Yeah, there's a lot in style. I want to be very careful of... Um, I don't want it to necessarily be a straight self-insert where it matters. Mm-hmm. As far as style, yes, I'm sticking to what I know. Uh, there's a scene in there before he builds his guitar weapon. because You you spoiled it. Maybe <laughs> you should have said spoilers ahead. 
Just kidding. Um, there's a scene where he talks about guns. I know a lot about guns, and I get into kind of, kind of like some, some of the type of guns he has and ammo uh, and the reason why you may not always want to use a gun in a fight in this mm-hmm. new world. He kind of goes into describing that. I'm sticking to what I know, but um, the character, uh, we introduced him a lot. Uh, a, a lot of his personality in the first issue, but I don't want him to be like me personality wise. And right. uh, I, and um, uh, you see a lot of John page as far as style, but I think when you, when you get into some more issues and as the story builds out, hopefully mm. you'll realize this isn't a hundred percent self insert. Right. Uh, the reason I'm sticking to kind of what I know as far as style is because, again, I'm not a writer. Mm-hmm. Like, this is the one story I can write. So I'm going to uh, – there's a lot of my style going to be in, in the story. Uh, but I definitely want to avoid making him a straight self-insert. I want to do a good job of writing, uh, separate it from myself, which it will. I've, I've got some plans on, on how, to, how to make it not a self-insert. And, um, yeah, I have two runs planned for this, actually. Um, you know, a, a comic issue run is multiple issues of a story. So basically, if you equate that to a television series, I have two series planned for this already. So there's there's big plans for developing this character, introducing you to the story and the world that uh, Ash finds himself in. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Pronto here in chat asks a pretty good question. Uh, just for anyone who's looking to get into this, uh, who are your favorite metal artists? And then I'll even specify who are the ones that are specifically inspiring uh, the the music and the action that you find in Ruthless. All right. So I have to answer that question in two parts. Um, let's start with my favorite metal bands. Uh, so Pantera is number one. Uh, <laughs> and even though I, I barely listen to Pantera currently, I've listened to every album uh, every song hundreds of times i know every drum hit fill guitar solo bass line whether it's rhythm or a solo walking behind dime if rex is walking behind like in five minutes alone if you ever listen to five minutes alone the solo the guitar solo is rather simple but if you hear rex in the background kind of doing his bass walks it's just great. Like it just all comes together. So Pantera's uh, from a composition and 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 a artistry, th- their ability to play, uh, Phil's ability to sing, just amazing. So uh, Pantera all time number one. Nobody even comes close. Uh, number two is Dio. Uh, just mm-hmm. one of the most unique, amazing singers, powerful singers out there. And um, it, man, if you haven't seen that uh, Dio documentary that they just released on Showtime, the one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a huge Dio fan. Got to see that if you haven't seen that. Um, and then number three, as far as metal, I'm going to say Overkill. Uh, Overkill was actually one of the inspirations for me getting back into writing music. This was three and a half years ago, kind of coming up on four years in June. And uh, they released their album in 2019. What was it called? Like, Wing- I think it was Wings of War. And uh, they had a song on there called Believe in the Fight. Now, if you don't know who Overkill is... They were a thrash hair metal band that started in the 80s. They sucked in the 80s. They had producers tell them, you're never going to be a good band. Stop doing it. And they never gave up. And when I heard that, when my, my brother Joe introduced me to Overkill, when I first heard them, I hated them. I could not stand them. And they just kept pro- producing music over the decades. And then the year 2000 hit, and they were just producing really excellent thrash metal Mm -hmm. and in 2019 20 years after that they released an album with what i think is their best song in their entire career called believe in the fight so 
if they can do it in their mid fifties, I could do it in my mid thirties. And that was a huge inspiration for me to get back into writing music was overkill. So that's my top three Pantera Dio and overkill. I think it's a solid top three. Uh, so that's my favorite metal bands. Uh, as far as what inspires me to write, I mean, I've been doing metal music since I was 20 and I'll be 40 this year. So I don't really listen to a lot of metal. Uh, you know, I'll listen to some overkill here and there, Dio here and there, not really a whole lot of Pantera anymore. But I, I've really kind of developed my own style, and um, I, I actually avoid listening to too much music so I can try and create an original product as possible when I go to compose these scores. And that's kind of – it mm-hmm. kind of sounds sad because I don't really expose myself to too much other music nowadays, but I think it's necessary to try and really uh, tap whatever you have in yourself that's original. Yeah. Absolutely. And then I will answer for myself. Uh, I am also a huge Dio fan. You guys can't see it, but I've got a poster up on one of my walls right over here uh, that is for a Ronnie James Dio birthday celebration that one of my friends put on here in Nashville uh, where a bunch of tribute bands play Dio stuff. So I I am also a huge Dio fan. Um, And recently I've been on a big Volbeat kick. I am really into a lot of the stuff that they've done. Volbeat's one of those bands where every time I hear a song by them, I'm just like, I really like this song. Who, you know, who who sings it? And then I, you know, I Shazam it or I look it up and I'm just like, oh, that's Volbeat too. Sweet. So that's a band that I've really been kind of, you know, digging into a lot. And then to, to round out my top three, I think Sabaton would be up there as well for me right now. I've never heard of Volbeat. It, it was it V O L B E A T. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna check them out. Let me just make a note here before. Yeah, <laughs> before and they are. They're not. They're not what you'd call like traditional heavy metal. They are metal. They're they're a Danish band, first of all, but they're metal mixed with a little bit of like a rockabilly sound. They that could that could work. Um, I don't know if you ever heard of Rebel Meets Rebel, but it was basically Pantera with David Allen Coe, but it was like country heavy metal. It worked mm. really well. They pulled it off. So it, 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 everything lays in the execution. Yeah. And uh, heavy metal rockabilly, that can be really cool if you do it right. Mm-hmm. If I were to recommend one song uh, just to like start you out on your Volbeat journey, their most recent album has a song called Shotgun Blues on it. I feel like that's a good introduction to the sound of Volbeat. I got it pulled up here after we finish. I'll check it out. <laughs> it is. It, it's a fantastic song. Awesome. But yeah, that that's where my mind has been recently as far as uh, heavy metal goes. But yeah, I, I do think it's interesting that you've kind of distanced yourself from listening to music, basically to like keep your mind fresh for... You know, you don't want to start writing a whole like suite of music only to realize that you've essentially, you know, like copied the most recent album that you listened to. Um, to to give yourself that space to be creative and, you know, to not lean so heavily on inspirations. I, I'm, I believe very, very much in wearing your inspirations on your sleeve, but there's something to be said for distancing yourself from similar media in order to let uh, you know new ideas come out of you instead of just 
taking apart and reassembling someone else's idea. Yeah, and I'm inspired by quite a bit. Um, and it's awesome. It's awesome to be inspired. It's And it's really awesome to inspire somebody else. And I, I haven't inspired many people, but um, over the years, there have been a handful that have given me feedback that I've inspired. Uh, some family members got into doing bands. Uh, they came out. So and when we were playing with uh, Metal Rain, my old band, back 18 years ago, uh, we had some uh, younger family members come out. And then when they grew up, they had their own bands. And they basically told me, hey, and I just like that. When I saw you play, I really wanted to do this. So inspiring people, man, that's that's the biggest. That's more of a payoff than any kind of money you can ever get. Uh, and that's that's a big reason why I try and do this and. Hopefully, I can inspire a, a few more people before I pass. But um, not that I'm passing for a while. I'm going to live till I'm 150. But uh, yeah, that connection and just passing on your passions to somebody else. I mean, that's what living's about. Yeah. Um, so that that's that's my favorite part. Mm-hmm. Now, as far as when people can expect issue number two and you know subsequent issues. What kind of release schedule are you hoping uh, or, or shooting for with uh, with Ruthless? Yeah, so here's the that's a that's a good question, and uh, I've already changed my mind from the last time I answered this question back in uh, January first or December thirty first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was uh, I was originally hoping to get three to four issues of Ruthless out a year. Um. It takes me about two months total to do uh, a solid quality 17 minute soundtrack. And I do everything I do. Uh, you know, I, I play the guitar. I do all the drums, uh, bass solos, the ancillary. You know, I, I, it's just not all guitars. Like I have a, a pretty big setup of uh, virtual instruments or could be orchestra, could be synth sounds, electronic sounds. And uh, I want to introduce some of those two to to kind of keep it exciting. But uh, for uh, a fifteen to twenty minute episode, a month and a half to two months to do the music for me, only the music. Then you have to do the narration. So I uh, what I do is I write it out all the narration, and I'll actually record a scratch track for Joe, not necessarily to tell him this is exactly how you do it more so so he knows what the pacing is yeah because the tempo changes throughout it like you know when when there's an action scene and i'm picking up the speed the tempo picks up so i need to record myself at that tempo so when joe gets it he knows what tempo to record it at and saint when it slows down and you know i i want to take you on a roller coaster i want to bring you up and i want to pull you down and make it emotional uh, you know, the tempo is going to slow. So I have to record that at whatever tempo the song's at. So Joe knows what tempo to go. So that's a whole process there. Uh, then there's working on the art with Sean Stevens, uh, trying to come up with uh, every single scene and uh, describing exactly what I want to him, uh, but not pigeonholing him so he can add his own little creative twist uh, to what I'm asking for. And then there's putting it all together and editing it in that video format. So um, the first episode we had a little bit of hang up on one of the items. Um, I can get an episode out every three months if I, that's all I did. Uh, but then, and you probably can speak to this too. You have yeah. to balance it with building your name and figuring out a way to get exposure yeah. to your creation. So if I just pumped out an episode of ruthless every three months and did nothing to promote it, nobody would watch it. And what good would that do? So I've decided that uh, I'm probably going to put out th- two to three episodes of ruthless a year. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's going to depend on how much other collaboration work I get from Iron Age creators, podcasters. Because every time I work with somebody, their audience has a has an opportunity opportunity to learn who I am. And if they like metal, they may like Ruthless. So I'm striking this balance of working with other creators. Um, a lot of the time, you know, I do charge. Sometimes I, I work for free. Um, it just depends on how I feel. So if you reach out to me for work, expect to be charged. And if you're not, just say thanks. <laughs> but <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it's this balance of working with other creators, doing my best for them, mm-hmm. uh, really spending the time with them to say, hey, what do you want? What do you envision? How do you want people to feel when you listen to this music? How can I have this accurately represent your product? I take that very seriously. It's not just on a whim. Oh, I'll do a, a cheap ass track for you. I really want to write something that connects for them too. Uh, and I think that will help uh, grow my name as somebody who's an honest creator and that will eventually filter back to Ruthless. So it's that balance of working with other creators and putting this out there and getting attention to it. I'm expecting two to three episode, uh, issues of Ruthless a year. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and where can people find Ruthless? Uh, what What's your channel? You know, where, where can people find updates on all things Ruthless and where can people actually watch the show itself? It's for free, so the price is right. It's for free on my YouTube channel, JVP Music. If you go to YouTube, search JVP Music, it'll take you right there. Uh, I don't know if you'll put the link in there. You're usually pretty good at that, so oh, maybe yeah. you put the link in the channel for there. But yeah, it's um, it's not my most recent video, but it's my pin video. Uh, 17 minutes long. You can just go there, click, uh, click play. No money. Sit there. Uh, and again, if you like metal, you'll probably have a 17 minutes of enjoyment and say, man, I hope issue two comes out sooner than later. Uh, that's where you find it. Absolutely. And real quick, I will drop the link to your channel right here in chat. And then I'll stick this in uh, show notes and stuff like that as well so that people can see it. So right there, those of you who are following along in chat is John's channel. It'll be in the description of this uh, stream for those of you who are watching after the fact. And those of you who are listening on audio, you'll be able to see John's uh, channel in the uh, the show description on whatever podcatcher you're using. So uh, definitely check out both Ruthless and uh, the other videos that he's doing. Uh, I mean, to bring things back to role-playing, you have actually done a video on the OGL situation uh, for all of the you know, crazy nonsense that came along with that uh, particular storm of just awfulness that we're not done with, by the way. Uh, don't think that because Watsy has given up for now, they've given up forever. Uh, so we're still RPG gorillas around here. I like that term that you came <laughs> up with. That should catch on. If that doesn't catch on, that's not on you. That's on them. Yeah. Are we running out of time? Can we talk about OGL for a second? Yeah, we can talk about OGL for a little bit. Here's dude. Here's my problem with OGL, I, uh, and uh, this is coming from somebody who played uh, first edition, second edition, uh, extended second edition. If you've never played Dungeons and Dragons second edition, you had uh, your core handbook, your monster manual, your dungeon master, all that stuff. And I know, uh, I know, there's a bunch of books out for fifth edition, but you had your skills and powers. You had your combat and tactics. You had your spell compendiums. There were four different thick ass books of spell compendiums and i've read every single spell in every single one of those books second edition as far as the content that they released was amazing it was just endless 
Uh, third edition was good too. They simplified it. Honestly, I don't see a difference between fifth edition and, and third edition at a macro level. I know there's some minor differences in there, but it's basically the same game. And third edition is way better than fifth. You should just pick up a third edition book and play it. <laughs> but uh, I, I love Dungeons and Dragons. That really kind of uncorked the uh, the fantasy lover in me. And uh, to see what it is today is it really sad and heartbreaking. And yeah, uh, I, you know, I, I'm going to hate on it now, but uh, I didn't start there. I loved the game uh, for what it was, uh, first, second, and third edition. Mm-hmm. It really fell off fourth edition, and um, I know fifth edition's big, but my biggest problem with OGL, and this is coming from somebody who I didn't create Project Full Blade which is my brother's tabletop. He did all the hard work with creating the game. I, I was more of an admin, and you know I helped him produce the audiobooks. Uh, so I did a lot of work, but as far as the, the creative mind behind the game, it was all Joe. Uh, this is coming from somebody who just tried and failed to make a tabletop work for the last three years. Um, so you know that whole process is getting in different online groups for tabletops, including Dungeons and Dragons, streaming with you. We did a D and D stream. Yep. Um, and I was just had no idea of what it became getting back into it, and I was like, man, it was really. I don't know. You're a strong dude for sticking in this because it, it really killed it, yanked the hope right out of me. Luckily, I got in it to write music, so I could still do that. But, um. Over those three years, I saw that game change in a way that was just terrible. It was an imagination killer. Uh, You could not... Nobody played with their friends was the first thing I saw. Everybody would try and find random groups to play, and that is not how you want a tabletop. You want to get your friends and family and pull them in and like, hey, let's try this game out. You want to play with people you actually like to sit down and enjoy spending time with. Yeah, that's number one. That's your first goal. Um, Don't look for players who are experienced. Make new players out of the people in your close circles. Number one with tabletop. Number two, that's how I got into it. My friends got me into it and cousins. Mm -hmm. Uh, Number two, as this game degraded, degraded, and as you know, orcs were orcs became racist. They actually they they liken orcs to black people, which to me is racist as fucking hell. Yeah. But <laughs> they tried to flip it and say, oh, no, the way orcs are. And, and it's like, no, they, they're imaginary orcs. They don't exist. What are you doing? Like, no, mm-hmm. don't ruin this. And, and they, they killed that. And, and they just kept going with with just neutering every. Um, they neutered every risky thing that made Dungeons and Dragons beautiful. I guess yeah. that's the best way I can summarize it. Mm-hmm. And. Um, nobody cared. No, maybe some OGL. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, not OGL. The OSR uh, mm-hmm. people cared, and and props to them. Props to the OSR guys for kind of speaking out, but they never really gained traction online. To uh, maybe OSR is bigger than I give them credit for, but to me, it's always kind of like a small decentralized type of movement. OSR. It it is OSR. Yeah. Think of OSR like libertarians. It's not yeah. even just one group. It's a bunch of fragmented groups that can't even get along with each other. Uh, there's there's kind of a generalized movement, but it's not even necessarily one specific thing. Much like in libertarian circles, people can't even agree on what OSR stands for. So, 
Nice. <laughs> that that really is liber the libertarian. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, props to the OSR guys for for trying to do what they can. Never caught, uh, and that's not your fault. But um, the, the the bulk of their players outside of OSR gave not a shit. Didn't care to go back into the history of Dungeons and Dragons. Play the older editions. They just liked Fifth because it was dumbed down, and nobody cared what they did to that game. And then the OGL changes came out, and uh, everybody was pissed. And I was like, where the fuck was this anger when they destroyed the game? How hmm. come this anger is only coming out when it could potentially hit your pocketbook? Because you don't love Dungeons & Dragons. You don't see it as a game that you want to experience with your loved ones. You see it as a way to make money. You want to monetize Dungeons & Dragons so you don't have to get a real job. And as soon as they came to fuck with that money, that's when every good, everybody got pissed. And to me... That's a that's uh, I don't know if you ever played Final Fantasy. There's a spell called Doom, and when you cast it over somebody, a fucking counter comes over their head with ten seconds, and it slowly counts down to zero. And when it hits zero, you're dead. I saw that fucking little Doom counter come up over D and D. It's only a matter of time before that thing dies out because nobody plays it because they love it. They they they're in it to try and. Uh, filter some of that money to them so that's what they can do for a living. And maybe that's not a fair assessment of everybody. That's a fair assessment of a lot. Maybe even the majority of the of the of the uh, of the players that they cultivated for fifth edition uh, for what they did to destroy that game. It's really tragic. I, I hated seeing it. I know that's going to piss a lot of people off, but I, that's my honest assessment. I think it's somewhat accurate. Maybe not 100%, but there's definitely some accuracy in there. And it's terrible. Yeah, it it really exposed just how many people are around essentially to strip mine the IP for what little bit of like clout they can get out of it. The I mean these people are tourists, uh dilettantes, opportunists, whatever it is you want to call them. Um this thing became popular because you know, at right around the same time, Critical Role got popular, Stranger Things came out, and a new edition of the game was released, all within a few years of each other, uh, which created this perfect storm of, oh, D&D's popular now, and then, you know, hey, all of these celebrities, some of them have been playing for their whole lives, but some of them are just now kind of jumping on the bandwagon because it's a bandwagon to jump on. But yeah. now you have all these people that are trying to extract value from this thing which has stood for 40 plus years and what they're running into now is uh watsi is trying to completely monopolize not just that ip but really like role playing as a whole and you're seeing just how many people don't care about the integrity of this uh thing that they're sucking value out of they only care that the value that they are uh you know extracting and and taking into themselves is being jeopardized in some way so it, it really has exposed who's going to be in it for the long haul who's going to be willing to fight and go down uh you know swinging at these you know monolithic corporations that are going to bring this hobby down or you know bring it out of its golden age or out of its kind of peak popularity and who's just going to move on to the next uh big thing to suck value out of once all the value is gone from the D, &D mountain yeah uh the, the, and maybe i'm wrong I really think there's a death sentence on D, &D right now yeah because again like i said things evolve so it it was 
I think they sold their longevity for short-term exposure to a group of people that are going to leave them and sell them out very soon. I don't think it's going to take long. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I, when that movie comes out, I, I, I guarantee you that movie bombs. I don't yeah. think it's going to even turn a profit. I don't know how much they spent on it. I can't imagine that that movie turns a profit. And if I'm wrong... Um, the second one they make will definitely not turn a profit. And I know yeah. I'll be right on that one. <laughs> Sometimes it takes a movie for people to catch on and say, oh, this is shit. Like, you know, The Last Jedi. Uh, <laughs> and then you had Rise of Skywalker and then they released Solo and that lost a shitload of money. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, it'll catch on eventually. But yeah, you, you see who their clientele is. They're concerned about making money, not giving money for a product. And that is not going to work long term. It's just not. Mm-hmm. And honestly, that's why I'm now doing what I'm doing on Rolling Bones. I don't care. You know, I've been involved with people who want to make, you know, actual play shows and want to, you know, essentially turn this game into entertainment. I don't want that because most of the people who are playing role playing games don't want to essentially make a TV show. They just want to play a game with their friends and I want to give them the best possible game that they can play with their friends, with their loved ones, uh, you know, th- that I possibly can with all my creative energy. And I want to show people how to play this game to kind of the, the, the fullest of its potential. And so that's what Rollin' Bones is now. I don't care about creating the next big actual play or becoming the next critical role. Someone else might do that. Uh, but that's not what I'm doing here. I'm here for those of you who want to run this game at your table with your friends, uh, you know, with with you know beer and pizza and, and you know whatever it is you're eating or you know whether you eat at all while you're gaming. I want this experience to be as good as it can possibly be for you, the average role playing you know player game master, whatever it is you do, I want you to have the most fun you can possibly have playing this game. I don't care about all of the, uh, you know, extra trappings that have come along with it. Yeah. So, um, one of the things I, and I'm going to take us back just for a second, but I think it's important to do some setup because I'm going to bash critical role a little bit. (laughs) Go for it. Uh, which, I'll give them credit for what they do. Very talented actors. And that's going to be the key word here yeah. when I get into it. Uh, but um, Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition, and I saw this a lot. So if you come and say, no, that's not true, you're a goddamn liar. They bashed just straight up hack and slash campaigns. If you were a hack and slash player, you were an idiot. You were under them. It was role playing where it's at. I don't mean to insult you because I know you're more the role player than hack and slash. And you're really good at it. You're really <laughs> good at actually doing voices or role playing. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. But every good tabletop experience needs both. Yeah. You need a couple guys that can role play and you need a couple tacticians that when the, when, when the shit hits the fan – They know what to do to win a battle. And that balance is what creates the the game. And it's not any one of those. It's the combination of those two things that leads into how you actually perceive that at a personal level, not at the table. 
and, and you know the table is important and and having fun together is important but it all filters back to you and how that impacts your imagination how well you can imagine what's going on how well you can take it in how excited it makes you uh you know how how it, how it makes you feel uh the, the peaks and valleys of almost dying and or getting a, a a vorpal bastard sword which is the greatest magical weapon you could possibly receive in dungeons and dragon <laughs> but it, it all goes back to you and the more you can take that in and the more it affects your imagination the more that's going to feed back out to the other people that you're playing with so it's not a selfish thing that should be the goal how yeah. it's about impacting your imagination it's not about role playing it's not about hack and slash it's, it, it's your imagination and how you can filter that back to other people's imaginations that's the goal of D, or at least it should be yeah and um what um shit i lost my train of thought again this is terrible this is why i shouldn't drink makers on the stream <laughs> but um what again going back to to dungeons and dragons um the uh I guess I guess I already kind of explained it how they just would kill one aspect of that. I don't think. Oh, critical role. That's right. Yeah. I was going to bash critical role. Okay, back on track, guys. I, I'm back on the train track. They flipped the switch, and I'm I'm rolling at 100 miles an hour. Uh, critical role is very good at their voice acting. I've watched exactly one and a half episodes, and that's it of them. I seriously doubt the genuine excitement that they feel playing this game because the key word is their actors this is a business to them they make a lot of, or at least they made i don't know what's going to happen with these ogl changes but uh they made a lot of money off of this they had a show on amazon prime based off of their uh their um campaign so uh you have to realize what that is is it's a business they want your money um and it may not all be genuine because they are actors. A lot of them are actual voice actors that are doing this. And again, they're very good. But how how genuine is it really? How big of a fan could you really be of Critical Role genuinely? Don't you question that? Like, I don't know. To me, it just always kind of came off funny uh, of how they presented it. And I, I watched it. And it just never connected with me uh, to be 100% legitimate. And if it, something's not 100% legitimate, I'm just not into it. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, like, I guess for a lot of people out there, they don't look beyond the uh, kind of that surface of, oh, you know, they're they're acting funny and they're being entertaining and that's really all I need at this point. It's not so many people who watch that show don't care necessarily about the integrity of the game. They don't yeah. think about that at all. It's just, oh, this is entertaining for a few hours. And, you know, that's that's how you get people. So... Yeah, and uh, I mean, if you watch Critical Role and like it, I'm not good for you. I'm not trying to bash you. I've got a lot of guilty pleasures. I like a lot of bad movies. Uh, I got I have a, a picture of The Last Dragon here because I met Bruce Leroy. One of my favorite movies. I know it's cheesy, so I'm. Everybody should have a guilty pleasure. And if Critical Role is yours, fine. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess I just I, I old school D and D meant so much to me. It's just that's. That's a, that's a step too far. I just yeah. can't. I can't. It, that, it's a weird thing. It's a new thing. Like I, I don't know if anybody did that before Critical Role, and if they did, fine. But they're the ones who really were successful at it first. Yeah. And um, it really blew D and D up. But again, I think this is all terrible for the game because the crowd that they attracted was not loyal. It was mm -hmm. people that wanted to be Critical Role, not people that wanted to play Dungeons and Dragons. That's who. That's who was brought into this game. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. 
Oh, I, I hate to cut things off so abruptly, but we are a little bit over time here, uh, and I do need to to leave the stream for now. Uh, but John, it's been great having you on and talking with you. This has been a fantastic conversation, and we should do this more often. Yeah, let me know. Uh, you know, I don't I don't want to pitch anything yet, but I talked about a stream that I, I'll probably start to do once a week coming up. You're going to be on there whenever you want me back. Let me know. It's uh, you know. I've, you're my uh, again. You uh, pop my cherry for intros, and you're you're one of my longer uh, online friends here that I, that I've met and uh, have continued to have conversations with. So I hope you find continued success in uh, in Rolling Bones. Thanks, absolutely. I, I appreciate it. All right, guys. Well, that's going to do it for role play for Rolling Bones tonight. I've had too much whiskey on the show as well, so it's not just you, John. Uh, <laughs> next week. Uh, on Valentine's Day, we will have a stream, and we will have Ken Spencer, who is the uh, writer of a new uh, series of adventures called The Northland Saga, coming out from Frog God Games. Those of you who've been around Ro uh, Rolling Bones for a long time are familiar with Frog God Games, but this will be Ken's first time on the show. We'll be talking all about his uh, Viking-themed adventures and, uh, you know, having a good time talking all things uh, Vikings and uh, why I think uh, snow and ice is underutilized in role-playing. Um, so that will be fun next week. I also want to make a, a quick announcement. I'm still finalizing the initial designs that will be available, uh, but I do want to let everyone know that uh, sooner rather than later... There will be a Rollin' Bones tea public shop that is going to be opening up. We'll have t-shirts and uh, probably mugs and uh, other accoutrement for drinking coffee will be the initial offerings there. Uh, but there will be some Rollin' Bones merch. Those of you who are uh, dedicated enough to rep my logo in the real world... Uh, that option will become available to you here in the next few weeks. I'm excited about this. I don't know who would want to wear my logo around on a t-shirt besides me. Uh, but if that's you, if that sounds exciting, stay tuned here. I will give you guys some updates on when the Rolling Bones Tea Public Store is open. Uh, but until then, and until next week, guys, whether you rolled a 1 or a 20, I am so glad that you rolled your bones with me, Ryan Howard, and I will see you guys next time.